American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Throw it all away. Welcome. Episode of American, American Timelines. Timelines. I'm Amy, and that's Joe. And we are back in 1951, and we have another guest. Last week we didn't have a guest. Sorry, everybody, but you know sometimes people life happens. Life happens. People yep. have things. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dr. Wolf Hammerstein got drunk on his vacation, so he couldn't join us. He'll be back later. But this week we have a guest that I've been so excited to have with us for so long. She's a good friend of mine and a, a colleague. We worked on the Charlotte Podcast Festival together with her agency called Eclex, and she has a podcast called First Gen's Podcast. This mm-hmm. is Perrine DeShield. Welcome, Perrine. Yes. Welcome. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> I'm so, so happy to be here again. Like, Amy has been, you know, a mythical figure, I feel, in my head, so I get to actually see her face. It's amazing. But thank you so much for the intro. It was awesome working on the Charlotte Podcast Festival with yes. you, Joe. Yes. Um, and yeah, so um, First Gens is, you know, kind of my little podcast baby that I've had for the past few years, and yes. we are gearing up for season four. Finally, um, I know you all have been waiting, but we are (laughs) gearing up for our Ancestry Explorer kind of, you know, season where we're going to be working with a few people who are going to be diving into their Ancestry DNA. Um, We're going to be working with a genealogist and really going deep into it. So we're super, super hype. Yeah, that that is great. That is so awesome. You got to listen to it. It's really, really interesting. And it really, I think... It, most of our listeners are probably Americans, and you know the thing is, give this a listen. It gives you a chance to well, really what, tell what other... it's about. Oh yeah, so we didn't do we even yeah. talk about first gens is about first generation Americans, right? Yes, you, Perrine, exactly. are first generation American, right? Precisely. Yeah. Yes, you got it. So I'm a first generation Liberian American. So yes. my cousin and Liberian. my cousin Sky and I co-host it. Right. Um, she too is Liberian, and we actually talk to first gens from other countries and different cultural backgrounds. I love that. And so, so season one through three has been you know focusing on you know those first generations. However, we're just happy because we've been granted the opportunity um, in the past to actually go back to Liberia and actually get really? deep within our roots. Yeah. And so we are excited to grant, you know, a similar experience, you know, to people who aren't first generation Americans who are, you know, they just have, you know, their culture, but they may be really curious about their family tree and maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, down the line, you know, whatever gen they may be, they could be fifth gen or sixth Mm -hmm. gen or whatever. Um, but we're just happy to be able to grant, you know, some kind of opportunity where people can learn more yeah. about mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah, so. that's really cool. It was It's really interesting. The whole thing, you just can't stop listening because 
and then you're and you're opening yourself up to other people's perspectives, and you get to know. Yeah. Gosh, everybody. There's so many people here that are first gen Americans that you'd be surprised. Like it's exactly. it's your neighbors, it's people walking down the street that are from mm-hmm. other places. Absolutely. And you're learning about their culture and and things you would never imagine. It's really. Yeah. Really good. So great job with that. I'm so excited to have you. Well, and it, and it brings exposure yeah. to people. Hopefully, it can reach people yeah. that need it. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. to, to to realize that there's there's not just one way. And oh yeah, I think um, Perrine, when I first listened to Perrine's podcast, it was when we were first starting to talk about the podcast festival. Yeah, and I got this rush of adrenaline and energy, like podcast can change the world like it can change people's <laughs> perspective because just people listening to you like an average white guy that's been here forever right. and his family's all just white people they can listen to it and be like oh my gosh people are different they come from different oh they're normal you know and stop all the like uh, stereotyping and everything else and just people are people and you just get so exactly. many perspectives and so yeah anyway yeah. i love it. it just gave it a good a good you know and podcasts can really make a difference just reaching people they can. Uh, yeah yeah, yeah so. storytelling is powerful, man. <laughs> yeah. What we you, do is not a small feat. So shout out to you two as well. Yeah. You're yes. educating us. You're getting I us up know. on like this amazing <laughs> history in such a cool way. Like that's what I love so much about this podcast because it's like, you know, you're telling us like these stories that we wish we would have learned in school oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. actually known more about. Mm-hmm. So I, I love it. Like you guys make it so fun. And I that's, think yeah. that Whoa. it really goes across, you know, different cultures and ages and all the things so well sometimes it. that's harder awesome. than that's harder than other times because a lot of what especially in the 50s when it was just racism everywhere and horribleness <sighs> and everybody treated everybody you know yeah so it's right. hard sometimes to to bring the light side of that and so sometimes we don't but you know like so yeah but sometimes we talk about it and we just it's important to talk about it and then we try to find the silly where we can <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. we gotta balance that a little bit and then of course gotta amy's balance horrible murders add that in there right add those in change things up so we're gonna jump right in we're in september are you ready perine to jump into september let's go let's get it let's do it perine's got something amy's got i have no idea what amy has um and so i've got a couple goofy things i think i have some interesting things i got some lighter i think i got some lighter material this time so uh just real a couple quick things september 3rd the tv soap opera search for tomorrow debuted on cbs Oh wow! I, I've heard of that. You've I, heard of it? I don't think it was on when I was alive, but I remember hearing of it. I only know it from the uh, Gil Scott Heron poem, uh, poem when he's like, uh, uh, "The revolution will not be televised." He says something about "Search for Tomorrow." It will not be on "Search for Tomorrow." Oh, right. I thought "Search for Tomorrow" was a space show. I didn't know it was like a soap opera. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I didn't look any more into that. <laughs> that but no, but it started cause I, once I saw it was a soap opera. I was like, okay, skip next. <laughs> Uh, and then September 4th, 1951, was the first transcontinental TV broadcast by U.S. President Harry Truman. Oh. So the first time from one continent to another. Mm-hmm. You think about it, before that, it didn't go anywhere. Uh, he His opening speech before a conference in San Francisco was broadcast across the nation, marking the first time a TV program was broadcast from coast to coast. Mm-hmm. And the speech focused on Truman's acceptance of a treaty that officially ended America's post World War II occupation of Japan. Okay. So that's what he was saying and talking about. And it was kind of, yeah. you know, the time has come to, to stop, do that, and, and rebuild and everything. Because um, Japan had been due at the time, Japan had, uh, they had a new constitution, unions for protecting the rights of laborers and voting rights for women, among many other positive changes. So 
Well, the, oh. the, they were forced to because yeah, um, they, the they lost World War II. Right. And, and so the U.S. came in and said, here's, your, here's what's going to happen. The emperor is only going to be a ceremonial uh, figure. Yeah. And then here's the Constitution. Here's the democracy you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And they did. They did it. Well, and they were doing it. I think they were saying, according to the research I did, that it was all from just Wikipedia, I think. But uh, it might have been history.com. I was on there. Uh, but they were saying they were doing a good job. And they were looking down the road. And with communism sort of mm-hmm. spreading yeah. in Russia and China and stuff, they were like, we're going to need Japan. Yeah, uh, so yeah. it was more of like a tactic, it seemed like, too. But um, so it, it's crazy how quick things change from World War Two right. to suddenly Vietnam's on the precipice and yeah. because of communism scare like it's I wonder does ugh. Japan does Japan ha- not still not have an army? Oh, that's a good question. That's a great question. <laughs> gonna, I have no idea. That's a good but question. But I wish I, I knew. I'm gonna look I, it up I really wish quick. you would have told me you were gonna ask me so I could have prepared. <laughs> uh, boy. Um yeah, I really don't know. Because um, I know they didn't for a long time. Really? They weren't allowed right. to? Is that right. what the that deal was? Right. That was part of the... This says, Japan isn't legally allowed to have a military, but Japan has a military. Mm. Oh. Okay. Oh. So it's something about... Uh, <laughs> legally by who, though? Like, Right. You know, like that... Is it the... It says, Article 9 of the Constitution of Japan bans war as a means of settling international disputes and outlaws the maintenance of a military. However, I like that. I like that. Last October, Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe said he wanted to amend Article 9 to explicitly allow the Japanese self-defense forces to exist. Yeah. Well, the amendment debate has long plagued the the, di- the diet and civil discourses. I don't know what that's supposed to say. But anyway, okay. Um this is from Metropolis, Japan's number one English magazine. Oh, okay. Well, Ian, you learn something new about Japan every day. I didn't know that they were banned from having a military. I guess that would make sense in this type of thing. And uh, I'm not a war. I'm not a big war fan. So I always like just kind (laughs) of lightly go into that stuff, you know. uh, Yeah. um, Okay. And that brings us already to September 11th, where Perrine is going to share with us a story of a kick-ass woman, right? Yes. Shout out to all the kick-ass women out there. That's right. Yes. Yes. I got two kick-ass women right now on the show. (laughs) Right. Shout out to Amy once more. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Brain. Shout out to you, too. Doing it. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) But, yeah, so on September 11th, 1951, Florence Chadwick emerged onto French soil and became the first woman to swim round trip across the English Channel. Okay, get to it. She successfully completed her 16-hour swim. Oh, my 16 God. hours, okay? What? So, <laughs> I don't, like, I, I'm like, okay, let me do better about not complaining about my 45-minute workout <laughs> that I have to do in the yeah. next few minutes because yeah. Florence here was determined. So, what's so amazing is that she was able to help you know, prove and remind the world that women are just as capable as men at long distance swimming. Yeah. And so it was just really, really amazing. Like what Joe was mentioning about, you know, World War Two around the same time and it ending, you know, she was really building up. Um, she would start practicing and would swim for 10 hours at a time in the Persian Gulf. Like she Holy just cow. preferred to swim in large bodies of water. She's like, F your pool, give me the Gulf. 10, and 10 I hours. Thought- Think of 10 hours. <laughs> No, I can't. That's like a work day plus two hours. 
but an entire workday and then yeah. some, yeah. which is just amazing. <laughs> and so I'm just like so blown away um, by Florence. I went down like a huge rabbit hole and just started learning a little bit more about her. You know, at the tender age of 10, she got her first big win. You know, she did swimming competitions, you know, throughout her childhood. Okay. But again, it's like, you know, that's when she came to that realization that the pools just weren't enough, right? Yeah, like, right. discover this at 10. I'm like, okay, <laughs> what was I doing at 10? Like, playing with gigapets? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so again, another way that Florence is just like, you know, do better. But, you know, it, it was just really beautiful. I think that, you know, she really trained her entire life and really built up to this amazing moment. She was a woman who was also like kind of Hollywood. Like she okay. was on different, you know, like TV shows. She actually produced um, different like films and Whoa. she did like some amazing, amazing things. Like she ended up, you know, refocusing back on her passion and her love for swimming until she retired in 1960 and unfortunately passed away in 1995 of leukemia Aww, but um what's beast. really beautiful and really poetic is that she had her ashes scattered you know along the pacific ocean oh wow um, that's awesome oh good isn't that like just i don't know full circle and um yeah. it's just it's great because when you think about current times, right, we think about how mm -hmm. so many women athletes right now are still fighting for equality. Mm -hmm. They're yeah. still breaking crazy records. They're breaking like remarkable boundaries. And, you know, there's just so much opportunity um, in present day and for the future for us to get it right and really give women athletes their due. Because oh, yeah. at yes. the end of the day, you know, it, it's so like deserved and, you know, we're a little behind. So Florence oh, okay. was doing this <laughs> in the fifties. Yeah. That is awesome. That's amazing. And you know, you know, she had to have prune hands after sixteen hours. Right. You're waiting to get that one in. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he and, totally was. He was yep. just waiting for it. Uh -huh. And I also yeah. was going to mention that I did have a gigapet, but I swallowed mine. So. What? Uh, I don't get but it. But when gigapets were around, I was a grown man. So like you, you're a lot younger than us, Perrine. So. When you said gigapets, giga I think we were both like, what the gig what the I still don't know. They're small, right? Yeah, they're like these yeah. little like electronic things that you would like put on your keychain. And yeah. it was almost like an app before an app. Yeah. But it was in this cute little, um, it's like that big, like two inches. Oh, and okay. you could basically like buy like a Smaller. different kind of pet and take care of it. And yeah. you had to like eat oh, it. Oh, it does ring a faint bell. stuff and had to do yeah. things like... That was the generation before our kids, but like we were already adults. We were we were partying. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yeah, we were. We yeah. had we didn't no time have kids for yet. We were living in Chicago. Yeah, all we did was party. You know, party. Living your best life. Yeah, yeah we were living our best life. Yeah, I that's love right. That. Well, that was awesome, Perindia. Is there anything more you got to say about Florence Chadwick, or are you, you you're good? Just that she was a badass, man. Like give yes. Florence her flowers, you know. Give Florence her flowers. Continue to give women athletes the same, you know, attention and you know the same promotion and the same platform that we do for you know men. Um, yes. and just yeah. Continue to equal the playing field because I, I don't know too many men who can swim for 16 hours. Um, <laughs> I don't know that many humans who can, yeah. but it, it's just really awesome. And it just shows, you know, what hard work and tenacity really gets you at the end of the day. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. I can't, I really physically don't know how somebody can do that. She must have taken physically. breaks. To just like, like in tread water maybe or she Maybe she floated mm -hmm. on her back. Took right. Well, that's, they her swim back. on their back too, I think. I have no I have no idea, but I guess if we really got into it, you'd probably find out about a lot of stuff. Because, you know, 
16 hours, you got to go to the bathroom. I was time. just thinking like, that, and I didn't want to bring it up. But gotta, <laughs> like, there must have been a number two there somewhere. Oh, yeah. Somewhere, right. somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> like, Way to just tarnish her memory. She's this kick ass woman. Where did she poop? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. well. We had that, that time. We went snorkeling on our honeymoon. You know, <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, I remember we went and we'd be, dr- you know, we're on our honeymoon, we're drinking and stuff. Remember, it was not, it was on a vacation with friends that just got married, too. And I couldn't remember. I couldn't go. They were like, just pee in the water while you're snorkeling. Because you're snorkeling for hours. And I couldn't figure out how to do that. Like, I couldn't physically figure out. You couldn't physically get yourself to do Yeah, how do I, like. Relieve yourself. How do I get it to go? I'm I'm submerged. It won't, like, work. And so I had to just go. And I jumped off the boat. All this this other stuff. We don't need to have this conversation. What I'm saying is just going to the bathroom alone in the water is a feat. Right, <laughs> that alone. Swimming that 16 alone. hours. But they, I did read somewhere that she did pave the way for a lot of other women who just mm-hmm. who believed who then, then. pooped in the water. Well, <laughs> who then just believed that they could poop in the water. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> they, too. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of women who, who believed that they could swim the channel, too, and then more women did that, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. She well, really th- paved the way, so. Yeah. Thanks, Perrine. That was great. Yes, very thank you. Very succinct and very to the point and. I loved honoring it. and so and that's gonna bring us to you aim oh it is your, yeah september 15th right. we're gonna jump i'm telling you i'm not doing every little thing anymore we're good we're jumping to your your thing on september oh. 15th and i don't know what this is okay i'm gonna it's talk about murder the ann arbor mallet murder Ooh, the ann arbor mallet murder ann Ooh. arbor is the home of the michigan wolverines and close this, to where i'm from this um i got from an author uh, most li- mostly Greg Fournier. Greg Fournier. He he wrote a book about this. Is that F O U R N I E R? Yeah, okay. pretty good. I know somebody <laughs> named Drew Fournier. <laughs> so that's how I know. And MLive.com, an article by Rich Retye. Try spelling that one. Rich Retye. Is that R E T Y E? Nope. <laughs> R E T Y I. All right, anyway. Oh. Oh, I, I, duh, stupid. Okay, so Saturday, We're September 15th, 1951. <laughs> oh, yeah, Saturday, September 15th, 1951, the same day. You're going to tell us something about that happened the same day that Emil Zatopic runs the world record 20K. He was nicknamed the Czech Locomotive. He was considered one of the greatest runners of the 20th century. He was also known for his brutally tough training methods. He was the originator of the interval training and hyperventilation training. You ever heard of that? No. It's where you work out and run, and you don't you don't let yourself breathe fully. Oh my God, that's gotta oh. be awful. I guess it's supposed to be great for your cardio and everything. Like what? I, I once saw a guy who was it was a Carolina in downtown Charlotte. He was a Carolina Panther or Uptown as we call it, and he was running. He was this big dude, and he was running with this like thing over his face. He looked like Bane or something. Like he was restricted. <laughs> It was like a black like machine. It was like cutting off his. It was like a hundred degrees out, and you could tell it was like cutting off his. You could barely. You don't be. have to. We can't hear you. Sorry. Yeah. He was like. <laughs> he was like Darth Vader or something, and I was like, "What in the hell is that?" And it was like hyperventilation training or something, you know. So, anyway, so that same day that that guy. That is bizarre. Now my phone went to sleep Mary. because oh. we had to deal with that for Sorry. twenty minutes. Sorry. All right. Sorry. Okay. That's my only thing. You only gave me one date, so that's my only thing. On that same day, what yes, happened? Yes, that was a hot day in Ann Arbor. Oh, yeah. But near midnight, it was pleasantly cool. Pauline Campbell, 34, had okay. just finished her evening shift working the maternity ward at St. Joseph's Mercy Hospital. All right. 
Uh, she crossed Observatory Street, Kitty Corner, and headed down Washington Heights, a narrow, darker street toward where she lived several houses away. Only four nights before, a man had slugged a nurse with a blunt instrument while walking home from University Hospital oh, in this no. same neighborhood. Uh-oh. So she was probably what? nervous. Probably. Bill Morey, Max Pell, and Dan Myers were recent Ypsilanti High School graduates, right? Ypsilanti. 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 That's how you say that. Okay. On Wednesday night, they drove to Milan and bought two six-packs of beer at a tavern known to sell to minors. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> In 1951. Yep. Yeah. Dan Myers owned Party. the car. yes. Yep. <laughs> That's right. Dan Myers owned the car but didn't have his license yet and allowed Bill Morey to drive his car that night. Okay. They were cruising Ann Arbor, according to Dan, because they wanted to steal some hubcaps they could sell or trade for an Echo Can, which is a 15-inch chrome exhaust pipe for his car. Oh, okay, an Echo Can. That's new to me. I yep. didn't know what that right. was. I didn't know. Me either. Man, <laughs> I was looking for you. She doesn't know what an Echo Can is. Rather than steal hubcaps on a quiet, shadowy street, Bill drove towards the well-lit University Hospital area. The three of them were tipsy, and Bill decided he wanted to pick up some girls. On the way over, Max and Bill began talking about snatching a nurse's purse. Later in court, Dan testified it was mainly Bill's idea. Let's hit somebody over the head and rob them, Bill said. There was a 12-inch crescent wrench among some loose tools they used to steal car parts under the front seat. This should do it, he said, striking his open palm to test its heft. So you can tell the author was really taking some liberties probably at this part. Oh, sure. For sure. The street was busy, but when they saw a nurse walking up a deserted street alone, Bill said, I'm going to hit her and drag her into the car. Mm. In court, Dan Myers claimed he kept telling Bill not to do it, but he did not hold Bill back, nor did he shout out a warning to the nurse. Don't do it, Bill. Bill got out of the car swiftly and walked up behind the unsuspecting nurse and swung the wrench. He hit her, but she didn't fall down. She screamed and ran. Oh, wow, she's tough. Yes. twist. Yes. Yeah. Bill jumped back to the car, and the three teenagers drove away laughing about the failed attempt. Shirley Mackley was able to describe her attacker for, the, for police. Five Good. feet, ten inches tall, about 175 pounds, and young, possibly 20 years old. She was not seriously hurt. Her attacker had wanted to stun her and drag her into the car, so he held back a, a fatal blow. That would not happen again. Ugh. Four nights mm. later... Bill, Foreshadowing. Yep. Bill, right. Bill Morey and Max Pell were out cruising again, but this time with Dave Royal, someone they recently met. Oh, that Dave Royal's going to ruin it all. I know it. <laughs> right. That <laughs> name just doesn't even matter. <laughs> right. <laughs> Max was driving his beloved car that night. They talked Dave into paying for the beer because he worked construction and had money. Max bought okay. a case of beer, and they split it between themselves and the two wild girls Bill knew from Milan. No, wild, the wild girls. Quotes. Not the wild, yeah, girls. the wild girls. Dave was the odd man out and dr- and drank alone in the car. You know that's the thing. These wild girls, if hopefully they survive, <laughs> but they're in the fifties, so these are somebody's grandparents or you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Those now, those wild girls the in the back of the car in nineteen fifty one. Yeah, you know some some of our grandparents were the wild ladies in the fifties. They were. <laughs> and now they're a grandma. Yep. They drank Awkward. most of the beer and dropped the girls off at their homes at about eleven. The inebriated trio headed into Ann Arbor. That's when Bill told Max Pell, go up around the hospital. There was a rubber mallet with a foot-long wooden handle in the car that Max's father used to repair household furniture. Uh-oh. They spotted a lone nurse leaving Mercy Hospital. Comes the mallet. She crossed Observatory Street Kitty Corner and started down Washington Heights Street, which was narrower and darker. Max turned off his headlights, and Bill said, let me out here behind the nurse. 
With Bill on foot, Dave asked Max if Bill intended to assault and rob the nurse. I knew he had it on his mind, but I don't know if he is if he's going to do it. That's what he said later. Okay, that's what he said in the court. Wearing moccasins, Bill gained it, gained on the nurse, rushed her from behind, and knocked her unconscious. Wait, he was wearing moccasins, or yeah, she he was, was wearing moccasins? Okay. He, Bill struck her several more times. Then he called out to Dave to help him drag her limp body to the car. They got only as much as her head in the car when Max told them, don't put her in the car. They dropped her body in the street and drove off, leaving her unconscious. Uh. She died soon after in the hospital where she had just finished her shift. The young thugs took. Yeah. I don't like it. All right. Not a fan. The young thugs took Huron River Drive back to Ypsilanti, but not before Bill went through the victim's purse. In it was a cigarette lighter, a watch, and a dollar and a half. Okay. From a bridge, they threw her purse into the Huron River. Afterward, they bought 94 cents worth of gas, ate sandwiches, and drank coffee to sober up at the truck stop called the Fifth. Wheel. 94 cents of worth of gas then probably was right. Not, you that know, was probably like, a tank. Yeah, worth thinking. That was like a it's whole nothing, tank. Yeah, yeah. It was probably a tank. It's 1955. Yeah. And uh-huh. this is a very detailed report. I, I I'm know. like yeah. loving that we know what they ate, how much the gas eight, was. Eight sandwiches. <laughs> they had mustard on three. Mayonnaise. Right. On three. It is pretty. Yeah. <laughs> So after the first nurse attack, Bill confessed to his good friend Dan Bowie, I think. It's not Dan Bowie? B-A-U-G-H-E-Y. Oh, boy. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. No idea. Bowie? Maybe Bowie. Yeah. Bowie? He was the, who was Bowie. on probation at the time, that he was the person who hit the nurse. When Dan heard about the killing of the second nurse, he was urged by his priest and his father to tell the police what he knew. Oh, okay. At 3 o'clock p.m. on Wednesday, September 19th. Sorry, I didn't give you that one. Oh, no. Wednesday, September 19th, the same day that insert thing here that you didn't tell me about, and I will add it later. (laughs) If I remember. You never remember. All right. I never remember. Aha! I remembered. September 19th, 1951. Strike it rich was on CBS. And no, we weren't striking Rich Helen or Rich Little. It was a game show where people in need of money, such as for a medical treatment or a destitute family, appeared and told their tale of woe, then tried to win money by answering four questions. If the contestant did not win any money, the MC opened the heart line, which was a phone line to viewers who wished to donate to the contestant's family. This was... Hosted by Todd Russell until 1948, uh, and then when it was on TV, it was it was hosted by Warren Hall. So there you go. How about that? I remembered. Now back to editing. Uh, he reported to police, and the three suspects were apprehended on their drive from the Ann Arbor police station to Lansing to take lie detector tests. Bill chatted with detectives about police cars. That's all he talked about. Dave Royal okay. did not say much for most of the ride. See, Dave Royal, not even adding See, in. See, that Dave Royal. Yeah, we knew trouble. it. Trouble. It's all mm-hmm. him. But Max Pell was worried chiefly about his car, which had been taken into evidence. Yeah. He told the police that he recently put a new engine in it and asked him not to drive it over 50 miles an hour. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a, really see, worried about the right things. It's a lawnmower engine right. that I put in there. Yeah. <laughs> so they confessed when they got to Lansing. Max Pell was the first to break down when police told him they were going to cut up his car's upholstery to check for blood evidence. Oh boy! You don't need to tear my car apart. I'll tell you, it's blood. Wow! <laughs> Way to crack! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, right away. Please don't touch it. Please don't touch my car. So he's just gonna. Confess to the murder so they leave the car alone because they'll just let me go right. now. I'll have my car and everything will be fine. Right. Like, um, less than six weeks after the arrest, the case went to trial. 
The courtroom was packed with local teenage girls, some who managed to get their pictures in the paper and later got in trouble for skipping school. When the defendants entered or left the courtroom, Bill was always first, then Max, and then Dave. In his summation, Washtenaw County Prosecutor Redding told the jury that on the night Miss Campbell was killed, she, unlike the three teens, had been working and working at a task that benefits other people. Yes. He asked the jury to bring forth a first-degree murder conviction for all three defendants. And Bill Morey and Max Pell were found guilty of murder one and given life sentences. Oh, good. Dave Royal was convicted of second-degree murder and got 22 years to life for his part. Wow. Dan Myers was sentenced to serve one to ten years for his complicity in the attack upon the first nurse who survived. One to ten years, huh? Oh, my goodness. Yep. So then the the community after the trial um, felt felt that the finger of shame was being pointed at them for letting their kids run wild and go out of control. This was true from the Ann Arbor News <laughs> perspective and the Detroit newspapers also. Okay. So everybody was like, got an Ann Arbor over there. That's where all the, that's they got all, all those delinquents. Wild ladies are. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so the city of Ypsilanti went into a defensive mode. One former Ypsilanti policewoman, Mrs. Dellinger, was quoted as saying, the community has committed itself to a hush-hush policy. My feeling is that there will be enough. There will be another episode just as horrifying before this community can be awakened. Sixteen years later, the first of the Washtenaw County murders struck the Ypsilanti community. I gotta turn that phone off. Sorry, I'm holding it. It's your phone. What? That was your phone. My phone's over there. But I'm holding this. It didn't make a sound. Yeah, it just did. It was that. Mine doesn't make that sound. Oh. Mine's turned off. All right. Like a proper podcaster should do. (laughs) I apologize, everybody. Sorry, Perini. You had to see that ugliness. (laughs) (laughs) Into the window of married life. Yeah. 16 years later, the first of the Washtenaw County murders struck the Ypsilanti community. This time, a serial killer was on the loose, and the rubber mallet murder had long been forgotten. And we had already talked about that's the Ypsilanti Ripper. Remember that? I don't. You've talked about so many murders. <laughs> I don't. love the true crime. It's like, I just love it. I love Do it. you like it? Yes. I am a, like literally a true crime junkie. Oh, I'm so it's glad. Always just sometimes like... we have guests and I'm like, I don't know if they even like true crime. <laughs> they just I sit here and it. listen to murders. <laughs> I, I Give me all the murders. It's fine. I'm just yeah. like, surprised that he cracks so easily. Like that yeah. never happens. Like yeah. was, there was no pressure at all. I think like, he really liked that car. Well, he, yeah, he loved- must have, and, and then like it's That's funny. What it was. was it worth it? Was it worth it? Well, it's funny we've been through so many of these that I'm now like, oh, he could have got away with that if he would have just he wouldn't have been <laughs> right. caught till the seventeenth one, you know, if they just keep doing that. Yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, they call it Ipsy, y- Ypsilanti. Uh, they call it Ipsy, Ipsy. for short. Um, gotcha. I couldn't remember what they called it. Okay. That's not too far from where I'm from, so. I wanted to oh, just cool. go with that. wanted to brag about I it. I wanted to brag. That I know some <laughs> Ipsy friends. I do have friends from there, but you I do? can't remember who. Yeah. Oh. I know I have friends from Ipsy. Yeah, you were a real good friend for getting that kind of thing. Well, I got I have a lot of friends. I got like seven friends. Very popular. Yeah. Very popular. Yeah. That's true. Somebody in college, somebody I went to college with was from Ypsilanti. All right. Great. That was good and very, you know, very well written. Yes, Not by was. me. <laughs> by, by whoever you stole that from. Charles Very Fournier well or whatever his name was. Charles Fournier, yeah. No, Gregory Fournier. Gregory Fournier, that's right. Um, and that now we'll, we'll I'll finish out the year with a couple cool things, I think. September 18th, 1951. Mm-hmm. Not, not finish out the year, but finish out the month, sorry. Because uh, we got a lot of September stuff. September 18th, 1951. 
Did you know, ladies, that Marlon Brando's performance in A Streetcar Named Desire helped reverse declining sales of white T-shirts because people accepted that it was not just underwear, but outerwear as well. Oh, he started the trend. He started the trend. In Come fact, on, Marlo. In fact, you couldn't even get. That's probably why they call it a wife beater because of that movie. No, no, his was a, a t-shirt. It was like it had oh, it sleeves. Was? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was oh. a white uh, tank top. Uh, I could be wrong. I think it has sleeves. Uh, now I better double check. Yeah, because I thought it was search a. That? Marlon Brand. Maybe it was a uh, what they call a wife beater, wife which beater. I hate saying that now, but. Yeah, I know it's terrible. An to say. A shirt is what my friend who wears them all the time. Day shirt? Okay. A, a, a shirt. Like a shirt. A, yeah. Okay. I think it's a t-shirt because there was another IMDb trivia thing that said he had to keep wearing the same shirt because it was like custom fit, fitted for him. Oh, wow. And nice. then you couldn't get a t-shirt custom fitted. Like it was, they were all, I guess. They were all really large. Loose or, or large or something. You couldn't have that tight fit. Images. Yeah, it's a t-shirt. No, look. Okay, so it's a t-shirt. Oh, that one scene, but most of the time, we're talking about that tight shirt. Oh, okay. That tight undershirt. Cause you gotta yeah, think the, the white crew neck. Yeah, the white oh, crew neck Oh, yeah, thing. okay, yeah. So you got to think, because in the 50s, nobody would wear a t You know, right. remember, everybody wore they a tie. Everything was layered and, yeah, yes. very they have tailored. God, and they didn't have air conditioning either. Oh, you know they smelled terrible. And everybody, <laughs> and everybody smoking. smoked. Everybody smoking. Everyone smoked. Yeah, everybody was I mean, stinky and, with B.O. and smoky. And everything was wool. Yeah. God. Wool, yeah. Oh, yeah. How uncomfortable the 50s were. Oh, yeah. Everything was wool. That is crazy. So, but now this was the first time where people were like, that can be something you can wear now. You don't have to wear that under. And like the sales yeah. went crazy. Yes. Uh, wow. But like I said, too, like his, they had to keep washing that same shirt, the one Why shirt. Why didn't they buy a bunch of them? They didn't. You had to have them custom made. He had made to get like them custom that. made, yeah. They weren't like that. They weren't tight like that. They were oh. like big, loose things, I guess. Um, That's so interesting. It's like he really like was the trendsetter for like more casual, like mm-hmm. going into a more casual, you yeah. know, kind of fashion. Marlon Brando kind of changed men's fashion, which is crazy I to think. It. And he changed I a lot of it. other things too. Like he was kind of groundbreaking in this movie. So this movie came out, Streetcar Named Desire. September 18th, 1951, it was released. Directed by Elia Kazan. God, that's the one we should have done with the Scottish guys because that's a great movie. Yeah, we should have made them watch it. So we're, we are, we have made this partnership with a, a group of Scotsmen uh, yeah. called, uh, and there's, they, their podcast is called Who the F Is, Who the Fuck Is. Uh-huh. And, and they, they pick a different actor each season and they watch all their movies and then they just bullshit about the movie. That's and cool. so, yeah, it's it's entertaining. We, we found each other on Podcorn, so we had them as a guest. And they were like, "Hey, we want you as a guest on ours, and yeah. we'll watch we'll watch whatever Best Picture movie on the year you're covering." So we did the oh, first cool. one was uh, All About Eve, All About Eve, which uh, was a great movie, and then we did um, uh, uh, An American Nick. in Paris, yeah, which also is a movie that I hate. Oops, I'm sorry. So I would have loved to do this one, but and we talked a lot about Streetcar, but. Um, really cool. Yeah, so this one was based on Tennessee Williams' 1947 play of the same name, starring Marlon Brando and Vivian Lee. Uh, we all probably know this, but it tells the story of a Southern belle, Blanche Dubois, who, after encountering a series of personal losses, leaves her aristocra- uh, aristocratic background, seeking refuge with her sister and brother-in-law in a dilapidated New Orleans apartment building. And I don't know if you guys know this. Are you familiar with this play? 
Perrine? I just okay. You're not okay. I assume it's more like it's a little bit old now, so it's like it's not a. I don't know how often people talk about it, but in acting, like we were both actors and met at a theater, like this is college and stuff. Yeah. So when you're studying acting, like this is the play. Yeah. This is like like, uh, you play. You probably played Blanche. No, I've never been in it. I I played. I would love to. I played Stanley in my acting class, and I won some award or whatever. Um, So it's like these are the award. These are the roles that every man and woman uh, ingenue play so gotcha. it's kind of a famous and you'll know the famous line you've probably heard stella stella yes! from yes, this yes, yes, yeah. yes. that's the big See? thing it's from yeah so oh. now you know but i need to i need to dust up man yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah if you're into old ass movies like this one's actually pretty good but if there's a lot of misogyny and a lot of like but par- part of that's like the part time. of the thing it's like <laughs> wife beating type of thing uh but the broadway production and uh the broadway production was cast the cast of the Broadway production was converted to film with several changes. So they they took the cast okay. of the actual Broadway play and put them in this movie for the most part. Um, okay. And then the author Tennessee Williams collaborated with Elia Kazan, who was directing it, which I think was a rare thing for uh, oh. movies and and plays that are turned into movies. Um, cool. Boy, I'm having all kinds. I'm clicking all kinds of things here. Um, so that was kind of neat. Uh, Marlon Brando, Kim Hunter, and Carl Malden were all cast in the original roles. Although Jessica Tandy was the role of Blanche Dubois, Vivian Lee, who had appeared in a London production, was cast uh, oh. because of her star power. Yeah. So Vivian yeah. Lee, you might know, Perrine, was in Gone with the Wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also a very, very troublesome movie to watch now. Like, it's so... Very problematic. Yeah. <laughs> very racist, very rapey, and it's like... Very. It's so hard to, like, to look at it with a, like, cinematic... Like, this is supposed to be a cinematic classic. Like, ah, it's... I know. Yeah, it's, it's hard to. It's these. hard. And this, this isn't as bad as that, but... Um, mm-hmm. uh, let's see. So... This was Marlon Brando's like only second movie. Like this is the first movie he was like known for that okay. he became known this for. Made him. He famous. was he was completely unknown at the time, uh, mm-hmm. and then after this, he rose to prominence as a major Hollywood film star and received the first of four consecutive Academy Award nominations. So the next four movies oh, he wow. did, he was nominated. So, so he this just like, like set the tone. Yeah. Yeah. For and, the trajectory. and when I was a kid, I don't know about you, Prima, but when I heard Marlon Brando, oh yeah. I, I think of Godfather and the big fat guy like, oh, oh, the Godfather, you know. And then when I first saw this, I was like, he was a sexy. Young oh, he was. No, he like, was no, he was an icon. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. He, he, yeah, he, he's an icon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a sexy young guy like that. Big he's fat very guy. much so. Yeah. Um, for sure. A couple of things I found on the trivia from IMDb as, as the film progresses, the set of the apartment actually gets smaller to heighten the suggested increase in claustrophobia of oh, Blanche. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Because Blanche has these mental illness, yeah. and so they actually made it smaller they made as it they went through. physically smaller. Wow. Which I think was cool. Uh, I Vivi- love those kinds of details. Yeah, mm-hmm. those, those details you wouldn't have even thought of, I think, in the 50s. Vivian Lee uh, actually suffered from bipolar disorder in mm-hmm. real life. She had a lot of problems. And they said later in life she had trouble distinguishing her real life from Blanche Dubois. Oh my like, god! Isn't that goodness. isn't that Poor tragic thing. and terrible? Yeah, that is. Um, the other line that's famous from this, uh, Perrine, you might have heard is, "I've always depended on the kindness of strangers." Yeah, did you hear that? I've always depended on the kindness of strangers. 
I don't think I've heard that one. Okay. Yeah, Amy yeah. says that all the time. No, I do <laughs> not. All uh, the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have. To, I just have to go back and watch. And yeah. Research. Um, Ilya Kazan was dating Marlon, Marilyn Monroe at the time and introduced her to mm-hmm. Arthur Miller. Mm-hmm. There was the Catholic Legion of Decency threatened to sink the box office prospects. They made them cut out a lot of things from the play because it was the 50s mm-hmm. and you couldn't. There's a lot of things like sex things and you can't talk about uh, anything related to that. And they had to change words and stuff. So 68 script changes they they wanted. Um, oh, wow. Um, so that kind of messed up some things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there was bad, bad blood between Vivian Lee and Marlon Brando at the beginning of the shoot, but these had nothing to do with acting style. Brando was simply annoyed at Lee's typically British manners and stuffiness. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the two <laughs> typical, typical stuffiness. Yeah, that's yeah. according to IMDb. Somebody stuffiness. wrote that. Uh, but the two eventually became friends as the shoot progressed. Because um, okay. Marlon Brando could do a dead on I- imitation of Vivian Lee's then husband, Laurence Olivier. Uh, yep, when he did right. Henry V, and he, he did impressions of him, I guess. So, um, yeah, and Marlon Brando went from a little guy to a huge, he like worked out big time and got real buff yeah. in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hey Stella thing is from this. I'll talk about that. Um, yeah, Marlon Brando was passed over from an, for, he didn't win an Academy Award for this, which most people think is the biggest travesty of all time because he did such a good job with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I the biggest travesty of all time. Of all time in not of not I mean that's not kind of all of time travesty. Hyper, but, a little hyperbole. But I think in Oscar nominations. I've been to Vietnam, <laughs> yeah. World War Two. It's not as bad as Marlon Brando. Right. I can say <laughs> that this is the biggest travesty of all time. Yeah. Do you want to guess, Amy, what those what? actor nominations were that he had the next four? Oh God, no! I no, can't you don't want to guess. I don't know any of them. Julius Caesar was one of them on the waterfront. Okay. And Viva Zapata. Never heard of that. I don't know. I've Those were the. Viva there was another one that I'm missing here. I'm not Did as familiar with Marlon Brando as I am with some of the others. As you are. All right. Well, and then that same day, on September 18th, according to eyesofgeneration.com, we had two. And I know, I don't know if you like sports, Perrine. Do you like college football? I you can I don't say know no basketball, but I I do. I'm a little familiar with with the football. So Amy just like just zones out when talking about <laughs> sports. So I'll make this quick. Well, I'll see you later. I'm gonna take a nap. Yeah, it's not really about sports. It's more about television. We had two college football television firsts. Uh-huh. Uh, CBS and NBC made these first on September. Oh, I guess maybe it wasn't the same day. I guess it's September 29th. I'm jumping a little bit. Um. NBC gave the first live sporting event that was broadcast coast to coast, a college cool. football game between Duke University and the University of Pittsburgh. And later the same day, CBS broadcast the first college football game in color. Oh, wow. Between, That's awesome. Yeah. I'm a Tar Heel, so I hate Duke. So, oh, I so hope you they hate lost. Duke. Do you oh, spell with passion. it? Yeah, this is the thing I found with these. <laughs> so, our big rivalry where I'm from is Michigan and Ohio State. That's a crazy thing. Yes, so yes. Down here, the Duke, North Carolina thing is nuts. North Carolina fans won't even spell Duke correctly. Do you spell Oh, D-O-O-K. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. D-O-O-K. Uh-huh. Oh, that's they, funny. They won't yeah. even spell it right. I love D-O-O-K. it. D-O-O-K. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I, that's, uh, it. that's hilarious to me. <laughs> so anyway, the first color game was between the University of California and the University of Pennsylvania at Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. But but because so many people didn't have sets that could play color, not many people saw it. 
Um, ah, look at that. And now I'm going to tell you my favorite story of the whole thing, and I'll wrap it up with this. I think this is the last thing I got. Okay. Uh, On uh, this this whole thing happened on the 29th of September of 51. Okay. Uh, Oh, no. Did I? Is this a November thing? Let me think. Did I mess this up? No, I, I don't think so. I, there's a date here that's an errant date, so I'm hoping this isn't a November thing. Nobody will probably check, and nobody cares. But on this date, Sir Hugh Beaver. Do you guys know who no. Sir Sir Hugh Beaver is? No. <laughs> I didn't know if maybe he's just famous, and I don't know him. No. Sir Hugh Beaver in 1951 was the managing director of the Guinness Breweries. Okay. You know, Guinness oh, Beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're familiar uh-huh. with Guinness Beer, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So he went on a shooting party. In the North Slob, uh, that's in Ireland. What is a shooting party? A shooting party is basically hunting. Okay. Uh, and a, a North, the North Slob is an area of mud flats. <laughs> so okay. he was by the River Stanley in County Wexford, Ireland. After missing a shot at a golden plover, which is a, a type of a bird. bird. You've heard of a golden plover? Those plover birds were in my story about those Lubbock lights. Remember? Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it's pronounced a plover. <laughs> oh, I thought it was a plover. I looked it up. It's plover, like okay. Danny Glover. Okay. I, I have Danny Glover in parentheses, so I'd say it right. Uh, well, he, he missed a shot at a golden plover, and he became involved in an argument with one of his mates that they were shooting uh, over which was the fastest game bird in Europe, the golden plover or the red grouse. They okay. were arguing about it, right? Yes. And this yeah. is the 50s. And it wasn't the fit, you know, right now we would Google it immediately and solve this. Right. This was the 50s. They couldn't Google anything. There's nope. no way to prove it, right? That's right. And, and not only could they not Google it, there was no reference book to to quickly look in. So oh, they, they just argued and argued, and turns out it was the plover is the faster bird. But that evening at Castle Bridge House. <laughs> I'm glad we know that. He realized that it was impossible to confirm in reference books whether or not the golden plover was the fastest game bird. He knew that there must have been numerous other questions debated nightly in pubs throughout Ireland. Oh, my goodness. I see it now. But there was no book in the world which to settle arguments about records. Mm -hmm. He realized Mm -hmm. then that a book supplying the answers to this sort of question might prove successful. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Beaver's idea became reality when he chatted with a a co-worker at the Guinness Brewery. In, uh, an employee named Christopher Chataway, who would later become a middle and long distance runner, a television news broadcaster, and a conservative politician. But for now, he was just a brewery employee at the Guinness Breweries. <laughs> Christopher Chataway recommended his friends from the university, Norris and Ross McWhorter, twin brothers who had been running a fact finding agency in London. <laughs> so they wow, were. Look at that. Because of this whole bet and drink it in a bar and argue over this, they were commissioned to compile what would become the Guinness, Guinness Book, Book of, of World, World Records. Records. And so by the time yeah. they did this, it was August of 1954, and a thousand copies were printed and given yeah. away. That's so cool. A little side note on Ross McWhorter, one of the two twins, he was later in the 70s assassinated Whoa. By, by the IRA, uh, uh-huh. the Provisional Irish Republican Army. He was shot by Harry Duggan and Hugh Doherty, both of whom were members of what became known as the Balcom Street Gang. Wow. The group for whose capture McWhorter had offered a reward. He was shot at close range in the head and chest with a three fifty seven Magnum revolver outside his home in Village Road, Bush Hill Park. 
and he was taken to the Chase Farm Hospital, but soon died after being admitted. Mm-hmm. So his twin brother had to do the Guinness Book from then on by himself. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Whoa, so that was a that? twist. That was a ride, wasn't it? Yeah, now you guys know Amy, way more. That was like an Amy ride, right? Like, you yeah, see how he well, did that whole, yeah. like, true I crime full circle. Out of your book. <laughs> that was an entertaining story. Well, I try to find a murder whenever I can just for you to keep you interested. <laughs> yes. So if, if anybody I'm talking about, I just do a quick Google search to see if they were murdered. I look at, I look at how... <laughs> I look at how everybody I talk about, I know how they died. You know, this guy died of pulmonary embolism. This guy died of this. And if it's a murder, boy, I'm going to put it in there for you. That's that's real love. That's that's real love. That's love. (laughs) After 20 years of marriage, that's the least I could do. Oh, thanks, sweetheart. I'm not going to make the bed, but I will no, talk to you about a murder. To I know you refuse <laughs> to do that. <laughs> this has been so much fun. Perrine, you are great and fun to be with. Yes, thank you so much Isn't for coming on. Yes, yeah, I we loved are, it. We are de- definitely, I'm going to email you tomorrow with your availability for the next, your return trip. Because you are a hoot. Whenever, yeah. whenever, anything yes. for you. And oh, again, I so finally much. got to meet my Amy. Yes, now yes. she belongs now to you know Amy right. my friend a... circle. Yes. And so yes. it, it was an honor. And so thank you so much for having me. Yes. I appreciate it greatly. And I can't wait to hear it. Like I, I'm so excited it'll, for this should, to keep going. It'll be yes. out it'll be out Wednesday to hear your wonderful voice. And and again, I can't give enough props to Preen about her podcast. Plus, she was a big uh person a big inv- a big hand in making the charlotte podcast festival we had what fifteen thousand people signed up across the world we thought as it was just were you, a lo- as were you joe give give yourself that oh gratitude, well friend. i always tell it was a team that. effort so it was, shout out but to you Perrine was a great shout partner and joni deutsch from wfae and brian yes, baltashevitz with the queen joni. city podcast Network. can't yes, forget those guys brian. but uh so yeah we are definitely having you back because you are a, a barrel of fun <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Yay, I'm happy. Yeah, we usually spend I'll... the half hour after we record ripping the person to shreds. Yeah, that we just <laughs> oh, on. all the other we're guests not we've do had that are today. terrible. <laughs> That's I made the cut. I made the yeah. cut. Yeah, we're not doing it today. <laughs> Definitely bringing her back. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. It's time to get out of here. Yeah, it's time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Yeah, we're gonna end this episode on a happy note with a Guinness crazy Guinness story. Yep. Uh, and Perinda Shield, listen to First Gens. Rate, review, and subscribe to that immediately. Listen, to she's got three seasons out already, or four. You're we starting got three, four. and four is coming. Four down is coming line. down nice. soon. Yeah. Love so it. thanks for being here, Preen. You're a super busy lady. So thanks for taking the time out. Uh, you're great and awesome. And so, see you later, everybody. Let Dale through. Bye. Baby, you could have more. Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.
I haven't worn pants all day, no, pants all day, no, pants all day, no, 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 pantsy, pantsy.